This episode of Nomi Athlete Radio is brought to you by Feels CBD. Feels is a better way to feel better. For 50% off your first order plus free shipping, go to feels.com slash no meat. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash no meat. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Happy Thursday, Matt. Happy Thursday to you, Doug. Happiest day of the week. The happiest day of the week, because that's when No Meat Athlete Radio drops. That's right. You know, my friends and I used to, when we were, like, just out of college, and I guess I was a little unique here, but, like, all of us acted like we hated work, but I really, really hated work. Like, I thought it was the worst thing ever, and I was miserable when I was in, like, a normal full-time job. Uh, oh, I forget what you did. You lived in Baltimore, right? Yeah, I moved to Baltimore after Something school. Like music? I did. T- I was in this music industry job because that was my minor was music industry, and I was a business major. Um, so I started with that, and it was like this music promotion company that went out of business a few, a few years later. But it was it was kind of a cool company. There was some neat things. I got to meet some artists and things, mm-hmm. and they dealt with all the major labels. So that was cool. And then I, after I, I quit that because I hated work and tried to play <laughs> poker for full time, and <clears throat> that only lasted a few months. And then I, uh, then I started. I don't this, think I realized this. you tried to play poker full time. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, and I had just met my my now wife, but um, and I like didn't. It didn't even occur to me that she would be concerned that I quit my job to do that instead. <laughs> and, I, and like later, she told me like how concerning that was. But anyway, um, were you playing mostly online? Yeah, and and online was really new then. Like this was just a little before the huge poker boom so so like there were online sites but it wasn't there weren't tons of them and it wasn't that easy still to get your money onto them and off of them um but it was it was definitely growing um and i did okay i made like i i loved it while i was doing it just sitting there all day doing that for eight hours was so much better than work i thought Mm -hmm. uh and i was making money but i didn't make nearly enough to like cover you know rent and expenses so like after a few months it was like this is not gonna work that well yeah uh I wish I would have stuck with it, and I wish I would have embraced No Limit Poker, because that's what became the big boom game that everyone got into, uh-huh. and I was just so like stuck in Limit, because it was all very uh, easy decisions to make, like it was it was almost algorithmic, the way you would play, right. just sort of follow a set of instructions, basically, and, and you know a computer could do it, um, and I don't think I liked the art of No Limit, that you had to, you know, be, there must much more subjective stuff going on, and mm-hmm. so anyway... Um, I, w- I wish I would have embraced that because I think that's where the real money could have been made. But whatever, would have been a different path. Um, so so we've, we've gone to casinos several times now and we've never played poker. And part of that's probably because I wouldn't uh, feel comfortable at a casino poker table. But I didn't realize, I, I mean, I assume that you would, at least you used to. I, if we would go like, if I, my friends and I would go on like a multi-day casino trip, I would play poker. But mm-hmm. it's like, to play, especially play limit poker, like to do it well, it's just you're just grinding. I mean, it's not like it's a fun night at the casino, right? Uh, no limit is different. You need tons of ups and downs and things, but but limit is just like like you're just grinding. <laughs> so yeah. that's why it's not really that attractive as like a, a fun thing to do at a casino. Uh, yeah, I guess you have to sit there for like four hours and yeah, and you need to throw away ninety percent of your hands, and it's just you know it's just slow. Yeah. Uh, and so like online poker is much much better for that because you can play four tables at once and. still throw away 90% of your hands but anyway um what I was saying was I hated work and my friends 
did as well, but not not to the extent I did. I don't think. But we always tried to figure out what is the true best. Like when when are you the happiest of the whole week? Because it's not <laughs> it's not Saturday morning. Because Saturday morning you're already you missed Friday night, mm-hmm. and even even to say it's Friday night is not right because like Friday at lunchtime you're pretty good because it's like that's like that's you've got the whole entire weekend still ahead of you and you just have yep. these last few hours of work but you're at lunch and and then it became like thursday night was actually the very best time because then you were going into friday <laughs> so anyway so thursday was was i think friday lunch still trumped everything that was the ultimate best time of the week but thursday night <laughs> kind of a close second you know i like thursday nights uh, i've always liked thursday nights for i think for that reason right i mean you have the weekend ahead of you you have one more day but you can you know when you know that it, the weekend is is there right uh, you know, it just feels good. I don't know. It feels like you're over the over the hump for sure. I mean, I know. That yeah, that's... exactly. You're coasting, and yeah, yeah. You haven't used up any of your precious weekend time yet. It's mm-hmm. all all just ahead. And and here at uh, Nomad Athlete HQ, we have a no call um, a, a no call rule on Thursdays. So I love yeah. that too. Except we do this. We Except for the podcast, call. right? It kind of ruins the whole thing. But yeah, <laughs> no, it makes it makes it fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. anyway, Doug, last week we neglected to talk about uh, a, a major accomplishment by you. Oh, yes. Which was mm-hmm. that you, I think you had, had hinted, or no, I think we had talked about you running a 10K. That's, we did. We talked about you yep. running a 10K. Um, but it turns out that you did you did better than just finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I got eighth overall. and. Okay. Um, and first in my age group, I got stomped by the people who actually won the race. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, it's not. It, it sounds cooler than it actually is, and it was a fairly small race. Like let's let's be let's be real here. But uh, but it was really fun, and uh, I have it was hard, man. It was really hard, and I, like what we talked <laughs> about on the on the podcast was not feeling very confident in my pacing strategy going into a race because I haven't run a race like I, I know how to run a five k, I know how mm-hmm. to run a fifty k. Uh, and a marathon, and probably a half marathon too. I, I could I could pace that up pretty well. But that 10k is kind of right in the in between the like, in like endurance marathon route and mm-hmm. uh, more intense effort 5k um, distance. And uh, and so I I just wasn't feeling all that confident in how to how to pace it. So I mean I basically just kind of went as hard as I could for as long as I could, and it definitely trailed off. It you know I, I definitely slowed down a little bit. Um, but I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how I could hold up and um, and and how you know how good it felt and it just it was one of those where you you know you're you're tasting blood a little bit uh, by the end and yeah. I was cramping up you know which uh, which was a little bit surprising um, but that I just for me like that was what I wanted I wanted to just go out and just like go as hard as I could. And, and that's what I did. And while I did slow down a little bit, it wasn't embarrassing. Uh, you know, it wasn't a total blow up or anything like that. And, um, yeah. Place good. Eight. Yeah. Very good. I, th- I mean, always, even if it's just age group, which is not, not really a just, but, uh, that's, uh, it's still good. You know, it's, it feels, it's good. It feels like you're doing something right. If you're getting on the podium for anything. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, if you're looking for advice on how to pace a 10k, I don't necessarily oh, yeah. have have the best advice, but I'll tell you <laughs> I'll tell you what worked for me was to um to basically uh start off at what like maybe 10% less than what my 5k pace 
would be. And I was able to hold that through most of it. It was a pretty hilly course, uh, and the last like mile was uphill, and that's where I really kind of started slowing down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if you can, I was just like just barely back from my my five k pace and just let it ride, see what would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes sense. I think that's what I from that training I was doing um, with the with the CrossFit nerd thing. That sound you know like the paces of the runs. A lot of them would be. 5k pace minus 10 percent or something like that mm. would be mm-hmm. often the pace for uh you know for that for that 10k maybe a little beyond distance uh so that makes sense to me and uh the fact that you tasted blood means it must have been a pretty good pacing strategy it means you must have done something <laughs> right if you're tasting blood <laughs> or something terribly wrong <laughs> uh cool yes. anyway right. speaking of races uh, yeah. Speaking of non-conventional races like the 10K, uh, <laughs> we have a we have a question about about non-conventional, unconventional races. That's right. We have a, a call in to the uh, Eat Fresh Hotline, <laughs> Subway Fresh Take Hotline, Subway yeah. Fresh Take <laughs> Hotline, uh, which uh, this is something we're reviving, and uh, I'm pleasantly surprised by how many people have called in. Um, and for so, if you have a question. Call it in, leave a message. We're not going to answer, but you can leave a message. And uh, if it's a question we think will be good for the wider audience, we'll play it on the air and answer it live. And the number, if you want to call it in, is 828-585-6585. That's 828-585-6585. Write it down, screenshot it, save it, tattoo it, get ready, because you're going to have those questions and you're going to want to know it when you do. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So should we play the... Uh, yes. Let's play the latest. All right. Hi, my name is Tamara. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I am calling with a question about an upcoming race that I've signed up for. I'm doing a Ragnar relay race at the end of the summer from Minneapolis to Duluth. And I'm signed up for three five-mile legs that will be, you know, over the course of two days or um, however long it takes our team. And I'm just wondering if you guys have any tips in general for Ragnar. Of course, I'll be trying to fuel myself with plants, but any tips for Ragnar at all would be helpful. And also, I like the downward-facing dogs, and the one about KFC was totally legit. Thanks. That's right, Tamara. It was totally <laughs> legit. This is some sort of plant, right, Doug? You must have put Tamara <laughs> up to this. <laughs> Uh, so great question. Ragnar, she's running her first Ragnar, running three five mile legs. Ragnar is a very unique race experience. The only one I have done was with you, Matt. Mm-hmm. I think I've done uh, two. I think I've done one before that that was not a Ragnar. It was the Blue Ridge Relay, but same idea. Mm-hmm. So we've yeah, done both. So... I think we've done both as ultra team, right? We've done each with. I mean, I did mine with my first one with six, and I think our our thing was only with like six people, right? Yeah, that's right. So I think we probably ran. I don't know, maybe six. Six legs instead of three yeah, years. that's right. So yeah, exactly what it was. So we ended up, I think, doing each between twenty-five and thirty over the course of uh, whatever it took. I don't know. Was it was it sixteen hours, twelve hours, something like that? Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, if you're not familiar with Ragnar, uh, the idea is it's a team race where you run uh, different legs, five mile legs, three mile legs, eight mile legs, and then you kind of tag off. And so there might be several hours in between your legs, and you know if you're running three five mile legs. Um, like Tamara is, then then there's probably going to be like five miles, five hours, you know, or a, quite a while in between your legs. Uh, yeah, which, which I think I've heard that before. Challenges. 
Yeah, it's. I think that's a little different. Not necessarily easier than doing the ultra team way because you have longer breaks in between those runs. And especially if you're someone who's not used to running. I, I think a lot of people do this because they it's a nice way to run. Like in this Tamara's page, she's going to run 15 miles. You might find someone who has only usually does five mile runs, right? And they're going to, their challenge right. is going to be they're going to do three of these five mile runs in, in a, several hours. Um, but that, that long gap in between, like it, it's kind of hard. I feel like the ultra team gap is a little bit easier almost to handle mm. because if you're, if you have two short legs in between your, or maybe it's more like five short legs in between yours, um, you might only be, I don't know what, how, I'm annoyed with the three, three and a half hours between your, some of your legs. Right. Right. Um, and that's kind of an awkward thing, but it's it's not like six or seven or eight hours. Um, so I mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's the to me the much bigger challenge of Ragnar isn't the running part; it's right. just like the what do you do in between? And, and I and the and the time like uh, what do you do in between? And then also you know you, maybe you run one at eight a.m. and then an, another at three p.m. and then another at four a.m. You know yeah, it's the right, middle of the night. Right. It's the time. It's weird times that you probably aren't running otherwise. Yeah. And and then when you're not running, you're in a van that is always moving, and someone has to be driving. If you don't have like a designated driver, it makes it even harder because then someone on the team has to do that, uh, and you may have a shift of driving. And so, like, I don't know. It was I, to me, Ragnar and and Blue Relay, like they're really good memories of like fun times with friends. But in the actual moment, they were miserable. Like I I, <laughs> I hated them. I, I think I mean I didn't hate them. I enjoy them, but more than a typical race, it's like it's really fun to think back about that night we all spent in the van running. Because oh, yeah, it's you know it's, it's overnight, it's totally dark. You're going to these random spots and meeting people, and there's other running teams. Oh, and there was like a tagging of other vans that people do, where they oh, if yeah. you pass someone, you like would would I, mean, I think you would tag your own van, uh, and you like, keep a little tally, a kill list or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. And so that that was so like it was a it's a fun thing. But I just remember there were some moments. In between, it was always in between legs that it was miserable. Not not during running, that was mm-hmm. fine, but like yeah. where you couldn't find a place to lay down and the van was moving or whatever, and you just and it smelled just were, bad. Yeah, you're just <laughs> just miserable. So it's, it was one of those things where like it's, it's a nice, it's funny in, the, in hindsight, but it's a little little tough. But no, but, but we don't want to be so negative towards him right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. I it think it, I I really like. You're right. It is one of those things. Just like any race, really. I mean, it has like this kind of any distance race it has you know it's like kind of hard like really hard in the moment yeah um, right but then you think back on it and you feel accomplished and you feel like you had such a good time with your friends and you that, know it's just a really good memory so tamara you have a lot to look forward to even if it's a little challenging in the moment <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> but so here's my advice um is uh is f- like have a fueling strategy i remember for us because you're kind of like it was point to point 200 some miles or something mm-hmm. um and uh so you're out in the middle of nowhere most of the time. And we would stop at like Subway or random places to get food that right. didn't always have the best food. So, um, you know, bring some food for yourself, especially uh, if you're going to be uh, in the middle of nowhere like we were. And um, and make sure that you have, you know, so you're not just like hungry or, or just like snacking basically for 24 hours. But you have some like real meals to eat during those uh, those break periods so that you're not you're not starting uh already behind on calories each run yes good tip um i mean i would agree with that for sure uh i 
in hours, you may recall, Doug, I had significant uh, bathroom issues. Mm. Do, do you remember that? That I was <laughs> like, I was oh, wondering yeah. where I was, and then especially when you got to the city, yeah, wow. yeah, and and I ended up like going to a Barnes and Noble or something, and mm-hmm. like wandered off the course and like went to a Barnes and Noble, and I was like, you know, it was the end. It was the next morning, so I was like smelly and gross and muddy and all these other things, uh, and just like going into the city Barnes and Noble and using their bathroom was strange. Uh, but so my advice based on that is, is make sure you do that. Like, it's just not, it's just not set up like a standard run. So it's not like every now and then you get an aid station and every now and then you get a bathroom and there there are these reminders to like, just take care of stuff. I don't know if that would have changed anything. I think more had to do with the stuff we were eating, which was your advice, um, to, to get that dialed in better. Um, but yeah, you just need to, you need to make sure that you are taking care of those things yourself and, and you don't, you're not relying on the typical rhythm of a race to, eat, go to the bathroom, drink, all those things. So, so I would say have some sort of like, the way like an ultra runner plans for aid station stops mm-hmm. and they know that they're going to like have that sort of plan uh, and say, if everything was perfect, you know, here's when I would maybe sleep a little bit and here's when I should be eating. Even if I am trying to sleep around that time, like if I could eat at these hours, uh, that'd be a good thing and go to the bathroom here and here. And I don't know. I think I would just sort of, as much as possible, kind of plan for those things. Obviously, it's not going to go to plan. You're, there's going to be lots of surprises. That's part of the fun of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think as much as possible, try to control those those factors that that can't be controlled otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you kind of touched on this, but uh, have that resting strategy too, because it is overnight. And I think that if I remember correctly, if you weren't doing an ultra one, then your van would like, be able to go drive ahead and have the parking lot or i think we were even at like a rec center one time or something like that mm. in the middle of the night mm-hmm. um and there were groups that were kind of waiting on the rest of the group to arrive and um and you know you ha- had this like time that you could budget out as as rest time or sleep time and so take advantage of that kind of stuff and then before you run you know i remember being uh kind of stiff and it was hard to get moving again but with each new leg so take a moment to warm up and stretch out and, you know, do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what about pacing? I think I remember not really knowing what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And I think I also remember, like every other race, I think I remember going too fast at some point so that my yeah. last leg, I was just kind of dead, more dead than I had planned on being. I think I before hours, I had run my 100-mile race, like mm. a month before that. And... And that was actually right at the beginning of the um, book tour I was doing. I even had some books on that, in that van that got <laughs> that got wet somehow. And and I remember Pete Pete or my friend Pete, his brothers were nice enough to like buy some of the water damaged copies from me, which is which is actually really important at the time. Um, hmm. But anyway, uh, I was surprised. I remember being surprised that having just run 100 miles like a month ago, to run these 30 or whatever it was spread out over three 10 mile gaps, how difficult that actually was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, maybe it was cause I was running all roads. I don't remember, but, uh, it, I don't know. I think, I think the pace would be an important thing to know what you're doing. I think probably the, the, I mean, boring, safe way to do it is treat it like it's a long run pace. Yeah. Even though you have in any given, you know, leg, you have the ability to go faster than that. And then, you know, you've got a couple hours of rest after it, but like realistically, you're not going to do much recovering in, in three or four or five hours. Right. Right. So you kind of have to treat it like you're running the whole miles all at once and i think i think i would do that and then as you as you get near the end of your legs um you know maybe you can go a little faster yep i would agree with that and finally what about uh what's your advice on alcohol in the van doug it is strictly prohibited by uh 
by the race. <laughs> and I, I think in my Blue Ridge Relay, I think we actually stuck by this. We had a guy there who was very serious. I mean, he was he, he liked beer, but he uh, he was very serious about not allowing that in the van. He was like our mm. team captain. He said, absolutely nobody's bringing that, and just wait till afterwards. And so we did. But then I think in our van, I think we snuck some beers into there. Someone might have. Uh, not going to name names, but, uh, <laughs> but I think that that happened. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I would do it. it was not, we had a designated driver who was not uh, running Absolutely. or, not or running, yeah. drinking, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. So he just drove. So that was no problem. And uh, yeah, probably not. Probably still some laws were broken by just drinking beer in a van. But uh, it, it, well, no one no one made a mess of it or anything. It was, it was fine. Everyone did what they needed to do. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so I, you know, just something to be careful about. Because if one person brings it and someone else has a whole different idea of what this race is about and, right. you know, how fast the team's going to go, and that there's, it could lead to a little conflict. So maybe maybe get yeah. clear on that with your team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, before we move on from the questions, I want to uh, give a shout-out to Robert who from Mills River who called and asked if he wanted to, uh, if I wanted to play disc golf with him. And the answer is sure, absolutely, yes. Uh, Shoot me an email, Doug at rock or at no meat athlete.com, and um, let's hook up. There you go. Very nice. Way to go, Robert. All you got to do is ask, it appears. Yeah, that's right. I'm willing to play disc golf with anybody. <laughs> Before we get to the questions, why don't we take a second to thank our sponsor? Okay. This episode is brought to you by Feels. CBD isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel stress, anxiety, pain. Feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door, and CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. There's no hangover or addiction. Just place a few drops of Feels underneath your tongue and feel the difference within a few minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important, and everyone's dose is different. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide you through your personal CBD experience so that you find the perfect dose for you. Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you feel your best every time you use CBD. Matt, I... uh, we, I feel like this is deja vu here because we, I think we were doing some feels uh, ads back last time I was doing renovation and I was having the same thing. <laughs> I just, I get a lot of anxiety anytime we're doing uh, any sort of construction work on our property. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but it's very triggering for me. Yeah. I have a lot of trouble sleeping. So I have been uh, on a strict feels, um, feels routine in the evenings. Uh, I, I just have my dose. It's not, a big dose it's just kind of a small dose but i know it will work for me i do it about an hour and a half before bedtime and i have been going right to sleep and it is it is wonderful instead of tossing and turning it just kind of like it said like he says doesn't not about what you feel it's about what you don't feel and that stress is, is something that keeps me up at night there you go did you in your in your little uh, kit of feels that they said us did you get the three different sizes and you get to try the different amounts mm-hmm. to see which dose i thought that was a nice little thing it's a nice thing that they include. i don't know if everybody gets that i assume they do yeah. Uh, but that's a really nice, a nice thing that can sort of help you understand. Because I think, I think a lot of people would would try something like this and say, I don't, I have no idea how much it's supposed to take, and and they try it, and it's just hard to sort of test and figure out right. on your own. But I think yeah. that that makes it easier for sure. Absolutely. And then if you have any questions, you can call that that hotline. Feels monthly membership makes 
your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Go to feels.com slash no meat. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash no meat, and you'll get 50% off with your first your first order plus free shipping. F-E-A-L-S dot com slash no meat. All right, Matt, to the questions. So last week we uh, set out to tackle this topic, <laughs> and we and we got distracted with um, all kinds of other things. So, yeah, esports. Esports always gets us. I don't, <laughs> it wasn't actually esports, but it was it was metaverse and video game related, mm-hmm. and somehow that just that just sucks us in, and we can't can't get out of that alternate <laughs> universe. That's right. So we talked about that the whole time. Uh, I think we did touch a little bit on fitness things at the end. Mm-hmm. But anyway, today we're back on track, uh, answering two of the big questions from this uh, this blog post that you wrote a while ago. Uh, Eleven questions new vegan athletes have but are too afraid to ask. So um, let's jump in. We're going to be talking about. I don't know why these go together, but they sort of do. They're just sort of plant based diet issues, questions, concerns, um, or maybe maybe not just maybe also curiosity. And so the first one is how does a vegan diet impact my recovery time? And this is not, I don't think for most people, this is not an objection. I think most people who ask this question, uh, they have heard from Game Changers or wherever else, a handful of other places you might come across this claim, uh, that a plant-based diet or a vegan diet is going to help you recover faster as an athlete. Uh, and by the way, it also might be true for, for recovery from things like surgery. Like It's not just not just sports. I mean, you're recovering, your body is it gets damaged or goes through something, and then it needs to recover and needs to recover. And... It's not that different of a process, you know. No matter what the the healing is that has to happen, um, and so there are there are some some interesting things about about like uh, surgery recovery being sped up by things like turmeric, uh, which is of course very very high in anti-inflammatory compounds, uh, and that's one of the foods that is often recommended for um, athletes as well. So, I think that's an interesting thing is that like recovery is recovery, and it's also the same things that make a plant-based diet good for recovery, as we'll talk about in a minute. So the answer is it will help you recover faster, in my opinion. Um, they're also kind of the same things that make it good in the long term. And a lot of it has to do with the keeping information in check, um, high antioxidant capacity of the diet, um, you know, in, in the same way that, that you want to uh, to <clears throat> minimize free radicals and things in the short term, you also want to do that in the long term. So a lot of this this idea of recovery is not so different from the the long term health benefit of a plant based diet. Um, so as far as like science goes, there's there's a decent amount of science, a growing amount of science, showing how plant based athletes do compared to regular athletes or or non plant based athletes, uh, and and they're positive. I haven't seen anything. Maybe maybe I have blinders on, but I haven't seen anything that is like overly negative towards a plant-based diet. What I see is often says as good as or better than, in some cases, um, a, mm-hmm. a typical diet. Um, and if you're talking about like a standard American diet, of course, it's going to be way better. And just about any you know deliberate diet is going to be better than a standard American diet. Um, but I haven't really seen anything still like that's actually specifically measuring recovery and doing it in a way that is, uh, I guess... I guess objective is is the word, um, but it's not the best word here. Um, my point is like there are there are some studies that out there like there's one that was published in Nutrients. And it was written by Dr. Neil Bernard, who a lot of people know is a plant based advocate, uh, head of PCRM, uh, and this article like it talks a lot about some problems that affect a lot of athletes, 
and then talks about how a plant-based diet is known to fix help with these problems. Right. Um, but it doesn't, and, and, and I've like some other sites pick this thing up and they talk about it as like a, a new study shows that the plant-based diet improves recovery for athletes, but it's not like they looked at a bunch of athletes and measured how they recovered eating a plant-based diet compared to other diets. So it's kind of unfair to say like, this is evidence then that a, that a plant-based diet helps athletes recover better. It's more like theory. It's the idea that like, we know a plant-based diet helps with these things and these things are probably things that are slower slowing the recovery or we know these are things that slow the recovery of athletes therefore it's it's a pretty good bet that the plant-based diet is going to help us recover faster and right. and what these things come back to again is the anti-inflammatory compounds by and large that's the huge part of it uh, which is related to the antioxidant capacity and then one that's talked about less is the nutrient density of plant-based foods uh not the caloric density because because plant-based foods especially whole plant-based foods are are relatively not calorically dense meaning if you you eat a given you know amount of food weight or volume of food it doesn't pack that many calories in compared to animal based foods which is why a plant based diet often helps people kind of lose lose weight without too much effort because they feel full without taking in quite so many calories on the other hand on the flip side and in a positive way is that those calories you do get on a plant based diet especially if it's whole plants tend to be loaded with micronutrients and you know, this is vitamins, minerals, basically the things that, that your body is using for recovery um, to rebuild muscles. So it kind of makes sense then that, that this high nutrient density relative to the caloric density, meaning lots of nutrients in relatively few calories, which by the way is, is you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Furman's health equals nutrients divided by calories formula. It's basically that in the short term, um, you know, that's going to be helpful for recovery. It, logically would make sense and this is this is something that brendan brazier was saying back in 2008 probably when he wrote thrive uh and he had he was talking about his high school days when he was trying all these different diets because he wanted to become a pro triathlete or endurance athlete at least uh and he tried these things and he found that the plant-based one was the one that helped him recover faster so he could get more workouts in so you know this is this is the story that lots and lots of athletes are saying to me i don't know if we really well, I mean, it's not to say that we shouldn't have studies that, that measure recovery, although I think it's just not that hard, not that easy to do. Like, you right. can measure inflammation. Uh, I know, like, when we had Baggio Husidic on, the LA Galaxy soccer player who went plant-based, you know, several years into his pro soccer career, and in soccer, they measure all these different things. Uh, I wish I knew what they actually were, what he said. I should go back and listen to that podcast. But he was talking about all these different numbers uh, that they were, you know, measuring, and he was like, his numbers were off the charts good after he switched to plant-based. Uh, and somehow they were they were doing some sort of estimate estimate for recovery. There was some something they were looking at and saying this is a marker of recovery, and you know he's he's doing really well. So there's lots and lots of that. But as we see more and more pro athletes doing this, people where there's a ton of money at stake, um, that that starts to convince me that like there's something to this because like you can academia can say what it wants, but to me until like industry starts applying what in uh, up until then is only theoretically true um or even if you even if you see it sort of proven among among large groups of people if if industry is not applying it where there's lots and lots of money at stake then it's it's hard to believe that in practice it really works but we're now seeing the athletes do this perhaps kind of before there's a whole lot of evidence that proves for sure that it works as far as academia goes um but to me that's that's a pretty good uh, indicator that that yes there is something to this because people you know when there's that kind of 
money and careers involved, yeah, I just don't think you see people taking too many big risks. Uh, so, I, you know, so that to me, yes, pivot side is going to help you recover faster. This is kind of why, of course, there are some of these issues like I brought up that we don't know for sure. Uh, but, but yeah, I would say, I would say absolutely. And, and the more you can do to, to, to foster that recovery, the better by, by choosing foods that are whole plant foods. Uh, those that are known to be anti-inflammatory in this post, Doug, you wrote, uh, tart cherry, beetroot, turmeric, berries, watermelon, dark leafy greens, pineapple. So like, that's wonderful. Don't go eat vegan pizza and say, look, my, my diet's going to help me recover faster. I mean, it could, depending on how that vegan pizza is made, but like mm-hmm. if it's just a bunch of white flour and you know vegan cheese made out of oils then it's it's not going to be doing anything for you so like you need to be basing your diet on the type of foods that are in this list which is whole you know leafy greens and fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans like all these great things you have to have your diet based on it can't be vegan junk food well said matt <laughs> thank you sometimes sometimes i just get going and uh yeah no, don't it was know great where to stop I was like, should I jump in? Uh, I don't think I. I don't think you know I what it is? To. It's that I. It's that I answered this question a hundred times when we did the, uh, mm. the book interviews this last mm-hmm. summer, and so they just all, all these ideas just spring forth. Yeah, I mean, you know, just to reiterate or to kind of restate a few things that you said, um, that I just I think are are fundamental here is like even if there aren't the studies that uh, are done directly comparing plant based athletes to uh, traditional diet athletes, you know, I think that, um, you know, we know that certain foods are, are anti-inflammatory. We know that certain foods kind of help with the, help combat a lot of the things that delay recovery. Um, and so, you know, even if you're not fully plant-based or you're transitioning, you know, like you said, just focus on the foods that are, are going to help increase your, um, or theoretically help increase your recovery time. And, um, and, You'll, you'll feel the benefits on those. And then, at least I have. And I think that anecdotally, a lot of athletes yeah, everybody would, has. would I mean, say that. Yeah, yeah, I don't mean to say that that I'm doubting it because it's what I experienced, what everyone experiences, and it's why so many pros are doing this. Mm. And For sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay, so the second question we have here is, do vegans break more bones, get more stress fractured, get injured more often? I When, when I wrote this article a few years ago um one of the reasons why i included this was because there had just been this recent study about how vegans break more bones and and i wanted to kind of talk about that but i think that it goes beyond just that study there's kind of a fear i think for plant-based eaters or or anytime you know if uh, anytime you switch a big diet but certainly there's kind of the the idea that you're not going to get enough calcium or enough protein through a plant-based diet because you're not drinking milk or you're not eating meat and so you're just your bones are going to be weaker. You're you're going to get injured more often. Um, you know, and we're not talking about like major fractures necessarily, but stress fractures, things that uh, that can sideline your your athletic, you know, mm-hmm. your your athletic career, your uh, your athletic goals. Yeah, and and I think there are the this is unfortunate in a way. It's also just just how things work. Like you get pro athletes, high profile athletes who go plant based. We'll go vegan. And then if any of them get hurt, which athletes do, they get hurt, then, you know, that comes out in the news. And then that person, like Cam Newton, is forever used as mm-hmm. the evidence that a plant-based diet makes you get hurt more. Um, and so you can't, I mean, you just can't, I'm, I'm not saying whether that is true or untrue, but you just can't form opinions that way because of exactly that. You don't hear about all the athletes that, like, no one comes back and says, 
look, it looks like Scott Jurek didn't get injured very much in his career. It, like, or, or we don't say this, like these nine athletes went plant-based and, and two years later we're checking in on them and they didn't get injured. Like nobody does that. We hear about the ones who get injured. Uh, and so we could do the exact same thing with other diets if we want. Uh, just call out the ones who get injured and then we can, we can form stories. So you can't use that um, for, in either direction. Uh, you would have to look at, uh, look at studies to sort of actually form any opinions about that sort of thing. Yeah. And so I do want to kind of talk about this one, this one study um, that, let's see, when did it come out? 2020, late 2020. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to look at this because the conclusion was from these researchers that, uh, <clears throat> that vegans and vegetarians are at a higher risk of breaking bones. And, uh, and that was the headline. That was what made all the news. Um, and, you know, anytime it's easy to kind of say, oh, that's nonsense. That's not going to happen to me or that's not true in my experience. But you know, I think it's important to look at that stuff because, uh, you know, I mean, they, they clearly concluded that and there's, so there's science behind it. And I know last week you talked about how I don't believe in science, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it actually, I do believe in science for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's important to, to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this study looked at, uh, a cohort of, um, people from the UK, I think it was 55,000 people that were tracked over two to three decades It's the Epic Oxford cohort. And so this is people that weren't being studied specifically for this. It's just kind of a, a group of data that then other studies can use to, you know, to find conclusions and make mm-hmm. conclusions and stuff. Um, so they followed meat eaters, pescatarians, and then I think vegetarian and vegans were, were lumped together. Uh, and uh, over a 10 year period, they found that, um, vegans would experience 20% or 20 more fractures per 1,000 people. So what is that? 2% more 2%. fractures? Yep. Um, you know, which is not insignificant, but not also not like crazy. <laughs> but yep. there are a couple of important things to call out. And one was um, that uh, the age of this group was, was a little bit older. Like mostly people in their like 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mostly women. And... Um, and it was mostly older women that were having this, the having, seeing the fractures, uh, which we know that um, from other studies and stuff that older women uh, typically need more protein, they need more um, bone support in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and on a plant-based diet, I mean, that's, that's going to be magnified because if, if someone uh, needs more protein and they're eating a plant-based diet, if someone you know across the board at this age needs more protein and this the people we're looking at eat plant-based diets, then they're probably going to be, you know, lower in protein even than the average person, which is, you know, no, no one's denying that. Most people who just eat a plant-based diet eat less protein than other people, uh, unless you're making a contra- conscious effort not to, or sorry, conscious effort to get more. Mm-hmm. Um, and the time period this this was from, I believe it was like 1993 to 2000, maybe. Um, that's that's a little bit early on in the in the plant-based health world like people were people were vegan still um but but largely people were ethical vegans and there was not a whole lot of story about plant-based diet being a, a good choice for for sports performance like we just talked about um or for you know strength and health it was it was much more about ethical things um not to say that was everybody in a study we don't know that uh but the point is like this you know like i'm not at all denying that this this is true in the study that this that this is what they observed of course um but I do wonder, like, if, if they would do such, such a, and perhaps they already are, if this study would be done 
you know, beginning now for the next Today, 10 years. Right. Yeah. Are people much more educated and, and they're actually correcting things like this, which I believe is the other point you're going to bring up that, that Garth Davis had, had called yep. out somewhere. Yeah. So uh, the uh, one thing, uh, well, so 50% of the people, the vegans in the study were taking supplements. So that, that goes to show you that 50, half the vegans weren't actually taking any supplements at all. Um, they did account for protein and calcium intake and kind of level that out. And, and the vegan vegetarians uh, were getting enough protein and getting enough calcium. So they, they just kind of, con- they didn't have a conclusion as to what was causing the issue. Um, but, you know, what, what Garth Davis, Dr. Garth Davis pointed out was that they didn't account for things like uh, vitamin D and vitamin K2, that that wasn't part of the study. So they didn't have any analysis on that. And, he, and his conclusion was that, um, you know, without taking those, you're not, uh, you're not really looking at the diet holistically and you're not accounting for the nutrients that might be difficult in a vegetarian or in a vegan diet. But if you can supplement with that, then uh, you kind of reduce this risk or, or maybe even eliminate it altogether. And of course, um, vitamin D helps with the absorption of calcium. Vitamin K improves the body's ability to utilize the calcium for bone density. And so these are two critical vitamins that, um, you know, if you're, if you're supplementing with or if you're making a point to make sure that you're not deficient in them or, or getting adequate amounts through, your, through whole foods, then, uh, then maybe this isn't an issue at all. You know, maybe it's because you're getting enough calcium through leafy greens and things like that. And if you're getting your vitamins and then your body can process that calcium and utilize it in the same way that, um, that a, a, a meat eater could. Yep. And his conclusion was every vegan should be taking complement essentials, right? Because uh, it contains <laughs> exactly these nutrients and, and a few others. No, that was not his conclusion. But uh, but, had, but that's had exactly we, why we included it. Exactly. In our, in had, we, had we paid a spokesperson, doctor, to talk about those things, they would have said that. So uh, that's that's why that comp- that's why complement essentials exist uh, is for for exactly that reason. So um, yeah. So I guess I guess the to sum all of this up. This study shows more fractures and 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 what and bone breaks, but they're the same thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought this was the second thing. This was this was pointing out that vegans got more. Um, oh. <laughs> anyway, but but yeah, that, that I guess the, the question is if these vegans were proper, properly supplementing with these nutrients that we know are hard to get on plant based diets, would we see these same results? And our hope is no. Um, one, people who have seen Forks Over Knives may remember this as well. There's there's a scene where Dr. Campbell uh, talks about the osteoporosis rates in different countries. And, like, there's this whole thing about, like, not getting enough calcium, right? That's one of the old sort of, uh, I don't want to say it's a wives' tale, but one of the first things people go to when you talk about plant-based diets, like, after protein, it's, well, what about calcium? If you're not getting that from milk, which is supposedly this great calcium source, then, then you know, what's going to happen? And... What he ended up finding, and what he demonstrated with a chart on, in, in Forks Over Knives, uh, and it's like a, a pretty clear chart that they plot, um, that the, the rates of osteoporosis in these countries compared to their rates of dairy consumption, and it turns out that the ones that have the highest dairy consumption are the ones that have the highest osteoporosis risk or, or rates, and then the ones that have the lowest dairy com- consumption likewise have the lowest. So you have this chart that is like a very clear uh, line that is showing exactly the opposite of what most people assume is the case. And... Hmm. Um, why is that? I mentioned Dr. Furman back in the answer to the other question. He has actually said, and like, so for a long time, I have poo-pooed the, uh, not have, but I did poo-poo the acid alkaline thing. If you, you've heard of this thing, sure. this diet approach, right? The idea that like certain foods are acidic or acid forming in the body and those are bad. 
other foods are alkalizing in the body and those are good because they're going to help balance out you know the acid foods that tend to show up in people's diets because of the way we all eat these days or, or the way modern you know food industry has us eating um and so like that's kind of in the in the health nutty pseudoscience realm um but dr Furman, who i consider to be a pretty good evidence-based vegan doctor he actually has a, a decent part in, i think it's in super immunity it could be an eat to live but i think it's in super immunity um where he talks about about dairy products uh and and other acid forming foods actually leaching calcium from bones and weakening bones and so this was his explanation for this this you know reason why people who consume more dairy products may actually have more bone health issues uh because you know if, if you're filling your body with acid forming foods um then then the, the way the body alkalizes is by taking taking these these alkaline compounds i guess out of bones where you know that's where the, the minerals are and those things tend to alkalize so that it actually the body takes from the bones to compensate for the acidic environment and that uh could lead to more fractures so anyway i don't know if i believe that stuff i'm not it's just it's just still a little bit too out there for me to say yes that's the truth but uh i don't know when someone like Furman is is saying that i, I tend to give it a little bit more weight agreed all right good um what else doug any final final thoughts here video game metaverse stuff you want to cover i mean last time we did that stuff and then we went to health at the end so today we do all this (laughs) health stuff should we should we move back into the metaverse for a little bit i i went back to the metaverse uh (laughs) again (laughs) how did you manage to do that did you I went back over to my friend's house. Oh yeah, uh, you just had to, or you just like you can't. You were craving, and you just kind of. I, I know. I just like, crawled. Gotta back. get my metaverse fix. Uh huh. Um, and I gotta say, you know, uh, after talking it up for two weeks, uh, basically any opportunity I could, I, I had, um, it, <laughs> it was a little disappointing. <laughs> really? I mean, you know, it was uh, it was awesome, and uh, and I still stand by everything I said before, but uh, it wasn't. Um, I'm not as excited to go back now because <laughs> it's it's still a metaverse and not the real universe you know? <laughs> right turns out <laughs> interesting well i don't know i want to here's what i don't know about the metaverse like can they ever make it so that you're not totally shut off from this universe like cause, like people right now scroll through instagram while they're standing in line at whatever mm. or while they're hanging out at the playground with their kids and and i'm, I'm not talking about like I guess I'm just thinking more in practicality and like from a business standpoint, like if, if there's companies that are claiming this metaverse is like, instead of flipping through Instagram, we're going to now just go visit our friends, you know, meta houses and go see their NFTs on the wall that they have acquired. And like, that's how we're going to check in on our friends. Like you can't do that while you're, while you're at the playground or, or else, I mean, you'll be, you won't even be watching your kids and you won't hear anything. I, I guess, I guess I'll have sophisticated alarm sort of systems that would tell you if something's going on. <laughs> But it just seems like it's so, such an yeah, effort like to get into that. Down around <laughs> it mean, just seems like such an effort to get into that metaverse and shut everything off. You need to like go in a uh-huh. cocoon. But isn't, isn't that wouldn't that just be like a regular video game on a screen or or like FaceTime? Yeah, but I guess I guess I'm thinking of the the proliferation or the the uh, ubiquity of social media and instagram it's because people just do it in all their activities not like they say okay i'm gonna go take some instagram time now like they might mm-hmm. say i'm gonna go do this gaming or i'm gonna go do this facetime on the screen or i'm gonna you know put on the put on the goggles and so i just i wonder how it's gonna how it's gonna transcend 
be in this activity you go do sometimes and become this thing that just just is is everywhere in your life the way the way current social media is you know okay so this is an interesting uh thought experiment <laughs> <laughs> um it, so what if what if like every mirror and every screen was kind of interconnected into this like metaverse universe so you know like uh i kind of think of like peloton right where you're where you're riding with a bunch of people and you're kind of having this in-person class experience but even though it's from the comfort of your home and you know on the screen mm-hmm. um you know obviously that's not like full surround uh goggles where you're looking around and you're seeing the people next to you but you know you're kind of having this like unified experience mm-hmm um, but you know, so, so what if you know every time you went into your room, like you went into your, your virtual closet or something like that, and uh, you know picked out clothes and then got the ones that you wanted and kind of like spun around? Or, I, I'm I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like it, it would have to the metaverse would have to integrate directly into every asset of your of the aspect. real world. Yeah, aspect. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think social media has only recently gotten a little bit better at this and. Mm-hmm it seems like we're still we're in this weird awkward phase where we are we have this technology and it appears so disruptive to our lives if we try to use it but we're just not very good at it's just not very integrated yet so i think i think this is probably the answer eventually it'll be integrated and you know we'll have we'll have implants in our brains uh that do this for us that augment reality for us and so we can be in this sort of hybrid metaverse universe all the time Mm -hmm. and you can't get out you can't get back to the regular universe you always have to have to be in the metaverse, but man, that sounds amazing. It sounds like you're in favor of that. So. <laughs> no, not at all. It sounds miserable. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Uh, I did. I did recently see a headline. I didn't actually read the article, so I don't, I don't even know why I should bring this up. But uh, where you can basically immortalize yourself in the metaverse, so when you die, you come back to life in the metaverse and you live on forever. Yeah, this that's not really a new idea. I've heard this idea that like as as if you, I mean, it's we're not that far from being able to kind of upload the contents of our brain to a, a, a cloud mm-hmm. and so that you can your brain can sort of always be existing there even if you die there would still be this version of you yeah uh that's there that people could hang out with yeah oh that'd be weird <laughs> man we're getting to some weird stuff here yeah it is it is very weird but uh, interesting all right yeah I mean, let's probably not go any deeper into the uh into this discussion for now no, uh, uh, one final thought. Um, I will shout out your blog post that went up this week about uh, creating uh, an environment that, that works for you and, you know. Uh, in the real universe. All the, in, the, in the real universe. Yeah. A real environment, not a virtual environment that, uh, that promotes happiness and fitness and wellness and health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed reading it and thought you had some good ideas there. So, um I encourage everybody to go to No Meat Athlete and uh, on to the blog, and it's right there at the top. And uh, yeah, some good ideas, some cool. stuff we've talked about here on the podcast. But yeah, we did a podcast like uh, when we when we contracted on our house that we were building uh, with uh, similar ideas. That was like here's here's what became the important factors as we did this search and realized that we weren't finding what we wanted we started to say well what's actually important to us and it's all these blue zones factors the things that mm-hmm. that you know because they are related to longevity and because i associate them with that they just sort of make us feel fulfilled and happy when we are doing them or living in them so uh it became they became the kind of the the factors we use for picking our house so anyway there's a podcast about it but uh 
but yeah, check out the blog post, which is a little bit more, more uh, refined, perhaps. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Talk to you next week.